Well, good morning. I give honor once again to our great and worthy God who's deserving of all praise. I magnify Him, the one eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I am grateful for His goodness to give me the opportunity to be back with you here at Spring Lake Baptist Church. On March 15th, we were with you right as this COVID thing was beginning to get underway. And here we are. I hope it's the tail end, by the grace of God, that we'll be soon saying bye-bye. Because I have a feeling COVID will look real good in our rearview mirrors. (laughs) God willing. So we'll pray to that end. Pray for our country. Pray for this world. The need is great. And the Lord, I believe, has in some measure... Uh, set his people to praying more because of what's been going on and that's certainly a needed thing so we need to be a people of prayer that call upon our God and look to him I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn this morning to Jeremiah chapter 3 please and I would like to read beginning at verse 1 in your hearing and we'll read together through to the uh, words of verse uh, 17 But I'd like for us particularly to look at verses 12 through 14 in this third chapter of the book of Jeremiah as God speaks through His prophet to Israel. And those words that He speaks are words that I believe are words that we as God's people need to hear today. Again, Jeremiah 3, we'll begin reading at verse 1, read through to verse 17. And as we uh, read the Word of God, may we hear with open hearts and open ears. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again unto me, saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been lying with. In the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredom and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden and there hath been no latter rain and thou hadst a whore's forehead though thou refusest excuse me, thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, My Father, thou art the guide of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldest. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up from every high tree, and or excuse me, every high mountain, and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, Turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous Judas, uh, sister Judah saw it. And I saw, and for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the likeness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly. 
saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord. They shall no more, they shall say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. We look forward to those days being brought to pass for Israel by God's grace. May we just pause and ask our God to bless His Word though as we've read it. Father, we bow in Your holy presence in the worthy name of Thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank You, Father, in His name for Thy great grace to us. We ask Thee now, Lord, that You would by Your Spirit bless Your Word, benefit Your people, Father, grant that each one of us today, as we leave this meeting place, might leave having heard Thy voice. Father, I pray that You would so do to the glory of Your worthy Son, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. As we look to these words of Jeremiah 3 this morning, and again, I want to particularly direct your attention to verses 12 through 14. And as we look at those words, I'd like to ask you to think with me about what I'd present by way of a title, A Missing Note. And as we look at those words, we find here in verses 12 through 14, as God speaks, tells Jeremiah, look toward the north, and he speaks to Israel which would have been the northern kingdom prior to these times, He calls on them to turn. And in that word turn, we find really a truth that expresses what we know in the Bible is the doctrine of the teaching of repentance. A teaching that is, I'm afraid, a missing note in our day. Some say it's no longer to be taught, no longer to be preached. Not something that is part of this New Testament period. And yet I find in the book of Acts, when Paul summarized in Acts chapter 20 his message, he said this, he preached repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, testifying both to the Greek and to the Jew. That sounds like everybody. That sounds like a message that all were to hear. And the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the capstone book of the Bible, our Lord Jesus, as He speaks through His servant John to the seven churches of Asia, in five of those churches He says to them, Repent! Repent! And so that tells me that whatever claims men may make mistakenly about repentance and not being for today, I'm going to side with the Lord Jesus and I'm going to side with Paul and I'm going to bow to the Word of God and say, Amen, I want repentance to be a part of my life.
Now, as I've read to you, and you're here in Jeremiah chapter 3, you might say, well, all of that's well and good, Brother David. But as we read chapter 3 of Jeremiah, I didn't see the word repentance. Well, no, that's true. And I want to ask you to think with me, though, by way of what repentance is, a simple definition of repentance that's found in these words, particularly of verses 12 through 14 of Jeremiah chapter 3. Now, I'm saying particularly a few times. I'm not saying it like I heard about the professor down at the seminary in Charlotte. He would say it even more southern than I do. Tickly. <laughs> tickly. I think that's T-I-C-K-L-Y. Tickly. But he was saying particularly. And I'm saying particularly. So, y'all will catch part of it, I hope. But but here in these words of Jeremiah 3, there is a word that represents repentance. And I want us to think a little bit about it. In verse 12, God speaks to His servant Jeremiah and says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. Now notice also verse 14. Turn, O backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. That word return in verse 12, and that word turn is the word that really represents in Scripture what is it? The hardened root of the doctrine of repentance. It involves a turning. But what's especially interesting in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament here, where we have these words in verses 12 and 14, is and I don't have my Hebrew Bible with me. I, I don't really need to. But, but in the words of uh, verse 12, Return thou backsliding Israel, read something like this, Shuva Meshuva Yisrael. Shuva Meshuva. Did you catch that shuv part in both of those? That word shuv is the word for turn in Hebrew. And yet the same word is used for the word backslide in our King James Bible. Shuva meshuva Yisrael. Shuva meshuva. That word shuv is used for the word turn in a twofold way, not only in verse 12, but in verse 14, where it says, Turn, O backslide in Israel. Same word shuv in Hebrew is used to speak of the people turning to God, but also backsliding. Why is that? Well, because when they had turned in backsliding, they had made a direction in a way away from God of turning. Look back in chapter 2 of Jeremiah in which this is seen. As God speaks about Israel, going in uh, in verse 27 of Jeremiah 2, God speaks of how in verse 9 of chapter 3, the people of Israel had committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And in verse 27 of chapter 2, he speaks of that again uh, in, in reference to the stock. That is a piece of wood that they had made idols out of and worshipped as God. Saying to a stock, Thou art my father, and to a stone thou hast brought me forth. For they have turned their back unto me, and not their face. But in the time of their trouble they will say, Arise and save us. Notice what God says Israel had done. And what Israel has done in nature... And in practice, every one of us has done as sons and daughters of Adam. We've turned to Him our back and not our face. That's what sin does. Makes us turn away from the living God. 
Turn away from the one who is the sunshine of our soul. Makes us turn away from the one who's a fountain of living water. Now God says that back in Jeremiah 2.13 about Israel. He says to the prophet, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a good picture of what we do in our turning. Here's the fountain of living water. Pouring out. I remember when I pastored up in Pennsylvania, there was a dear lady in our church. I called her Mother Sutherland, Evelyn Sutherland. She had 12 children, six boys and six girls, not in that order. Mother Sutherland, I called her. She's a dear lady, loved the Lord, and her husband had been saved in his late years at 79. And he was a changed man when the Lord saved him. But Brother Sutherland had a spring out behind the mobile home they lived in there in what we call the Sutherland Holler. They, they had a lot of the family living all about them. And, 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 and Brother John, he said that spring had the best water on earth. And I believe it did. I tasted some of it. I've had, I've had as good, but I've never had better. Well, here we have this picture where God is a spring from which the sweetest, the best tasting water flows. And what it is Israel done? My people have committed to evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. But what else have they done? As they had turned away from the fountain of living water, the living God, they had hewed them out cisterns. Now, a cistern is made for holding rainwater, gathering and collecting, storing rainwater. But they had hewed out cisterns. What kind? Broken cisterns that could do what? Hold no water. And that's what we've done as sons and daughters of Adam. We've turned away. We've turned our back to Him who's the fountain of living water. And we've dug out some wells, cisterns that can hold no water. And you remember some of you before you were saved. I remember it well. When I was reaching down in those broken cisterns and I was taking up a handful of dust. And I was sucking in that dust. And boy, this is good. Telling my friends, here, try some of this. This will help you thirst. And I was lying to myself and lying to them. Because you see, when sin turns us from God, we're turned away from the source of all blessing. And that's what's happened to us as sons and daughters of Adam. That's what happened in Israel. They, had, they were backsliding. I like the way Dr. McGee in his, through the Bible radio speaks about backsliding. He said sometimes when he grew up as a boy in Texas, they'd try to lead a, lead a cow up the up the chute, you know, to get in the trailer. Now, I don't know if the cow knew where they were going, but the cow acted like it did because he said sometimes that that, that cow would just squat down on that on that chute and just start sliding back. And that's a good picture of backsliding. But additionally, that image is of turning from God. We've turned to Him the back and not the face. Now, as a speaker, I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm going to do it to illustrate the point. This is not the way to speak to a crowd, right? I tell you, that's one of the worst things a speaker can turn your back to the crowd. But that's what we've done to God by our sin. And the simple definition of repentance is we turn back the right direction. I no longer turn to Him my back, but I turn to Him my face. And now my life and my, my, my ways are directed toward Him. 
That's really what repentance is. The, the, the Greek word in the New Testament for repentance is metanoia. It means a change of mind. But it's the change of mind that's not like, well, you know, may. No, it's a change of mind and heart that leads to a corresponding change of life. That's what the turn is here that God's calling Israel to. The return. Return, O backsliding children. Turn, O backsliding Israel. He's calling them to do what is really a, a, an about face. Um, you probably read about the coach who told his team, we're going to turn this thing 360 degrees around. That's the wrong way. That's put, but this is a 180 degree turn. And here's something that I appreciate. I've seen this before. You may have seen it. On the road to life, or the road of life, rather, God allows U turns. Aren't you glad? We're going the wrong direction, but God speaks. Now, this call to repentance, there's several things we can say about it. This matter of returning, it's grounded. As we go back to chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, it's grounded in several things that, that are pointed out in these words of Jeremiah 3 12 through 14. It's grounded, first of all, I would say to you, it's grounded in God's character of mercy. Notice verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backslide in Israel, saith the Lord. And I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. There we see something. As, as, as sin, if it persisted in, will bring God's anger, His hot holy wrath. His hot, holy anger against sin. God says, I'll not do that if you turn, for I am merciful. God's call to repent is grounded in His character of mercy. Now when you read chapter 3 as we did, those opening verses, you find that God is speaking to Israel as a wife. We'll say more about that in a moment. Israel had become like a wife to the Lord. But Israel, in her being a wife to the Lord, had sadly done some things that no wife or husband should ever do. She had been unfaithful to our God. And God says she'd gone a-whoring on Him. She'd committed adultery against Him. She had failed to recognize Him. And yet in mercy, God looks at them as He's judged the northern kingdom of Israel and as the southern kingdom, Judah, is about to feel His judgment. God says to them, Return! Return! In other words, God says to the wayward wife, I'll have you back. I'll be gracious to you. I'll show mercy. And that shows the heart of mercy that's in God. I don't think you and I can understand it fully. I try to preach it. And I try to preach to sinners the truth that our God is so great in His mercy towards sinners that He'd rather save than damn. And I believe that. He's a God whose heart is so big that He says in Ezekiel 18 to the sinner, Why will you die? Why will you go down to the pit? Sinners go on unconcerned. And that's the way I was before the Lord saved me. I was going to hell and happy of it. But oh, God says to sinners, why will you die? He speaks in mercy. And He says, that's the wrong path. Turn unto me. And that's something that the heart of God speaks of. That I wish I could convey it. 
George Whitfield, gospel preacher of the 1700s, preached in our colonies before they became the United States and then as well preached over in England. And the colliers would come out of the coal mines and they'd hear him preach and they'd come out with their faces all sooty. And they said that as they heard him preach the mercy of God towards sinners, they said that there'd be white gutters that would be formed down their cheeks as those tears flowed hearing him preach the gospel. And those cold, sooty stains gave way to tears and white gutters went down. Why? Because of the great theme of the mercy of God. You and I, we cannot comprehend it. I love the way the hymn writer wrote about the love of God and I believe it's equally true of the mercy of God. The hymn writer said, remember that great hymn, the love of God. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. That's our great God. And that's the mercy. That's the love He shows to sinners. That's the mercy that He he has that He says, turn unto Me for I am merciful. How great it is. But but then also, not only is it grounded in God's character of mercy, it's, it's also grounded in God's claims as Master when He says there in verse 14, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. Now, the word married in the Hebrew Scriptures is Baal. It's a word that's used of a false god whom the Canaanites and the tribes called Lord. But it's also the word that means husband. Baal. And God says, I am married to you. Or you could understand it, I'm Lord to you. For in God's plan in marriage, the husband is to be the head of the wife. Now, God says, I'm married. I have the lordship over you. And brothers and sisters, when we think about that, not only does God speak to sinners to repent because of His mercy, He also speaks because He's master. Now, that's true by virtue of creation. God made us... Therefore, he has the right to rule and govern us. I remember hearing one time a young man make a statement when I also was a young man, and that's been a while ago, I have to tell you. I can remember him saying, what I do with my body is my business. Well, it's more than his business. What I do with my body is more than my business. It's also the business of the God who made me and to whom I owe an accounting for the way I govern my life. That's what's forgotten, especially sadly in our country where we've had so much good biblical capital and biblical stock of values and of how life ought to be lived and we've gotten away from it. And anymore there's no real reference to God. There's no real thought of in God we trust sadly in our land. And what's happened? We've gotten away from the idea that God has claims on my life. I'm accountable to Him. I'm responsible to Him. And I may live and think and talk and act in such a way is that I disregard that. But it'll catch me. It'll catch up with me by and by. Because I owe Him an accounting. I'm responsible to Him. I can't live life like I want to without consequences. Because ultimately I owe it to Him. Now this is enlarged in the New Testament where we're told uh, 
As Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he summarized that great message that he preached about the Lord Jesus having died and been raised. And he said as he spoke of His ascension, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know that God has made this same Jesus, whom He crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's appointed Lord. And that means every knee will bow to Him. I like what one brother from West Virginia said. He was a converted coal miner, became a preacher. He said this, Salvation is just bowing ahead of time. That's what salvation is. Every knee is going to bow. Buddha is going to bow. Bahula is going to bow. Allah is going to bow. Muhammad is going to bow. Satan is going to bow. Every demon is going to bow. Every angel is going to bow. Every saved person says, Amen, he's Lord. I'm going to... But every lost person is going to bow. Salvation is just bowing ahead of time, acknowledging, yes, you are Master, you are Lord, you have rights over me. And it's in that, on that basis, we turn, honoring who He is as Lord. And that's why Peter called on them to repent that day in Acts 2. Repent and be converted, he said later in Acts 3, verse 19, as he told them that they needed to... I like the way, and I know Brother uh, Brother McGuire who labored here up until his passing in 91. Brother McGuire had the privilege of of hearing Rolf Barnard and studying under him over at Piedmont in Winston-Salem. But Brother Barnard used to tell sinners, Stack arms! Throw up the white flag of surrender. Throw down your brass knuckles. Everything you've been fighting them with. Well, that's what we do when we're saved. Now, we don't do it perfectly, but we realize that it's a losing battle. I can't beat him. I can't fight him and win. And so we throw up the white flag of surrender and we cry, I yield. I yield. Your master, your boss, your Lord. Brothers and sisters, he like he used that illustration of stacking arms. There's a picture that's made of the Battle of Yorktown after the surrender of Cornwallis. The British band played the world turned upside down. That's for them what it seemed like. But Cornwallis' soldiers came by and they laid down their arms. They put them in stacks as they surrendered. When I come to Christ, that's what I do. I stack arms. Your Lord. And that's what God calls on them to turn on the basis of the fact that He is Lord. He's Master. He's the one to whom we're married. Now as believers, that's even more true. For Romans 7 verse 3 tells us that we, through the law, are dead to the law. That we should be married to another, even Him that's raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In other words, God desires as we return in repentance and faith that we bring honor to the Lord Jesus and glorify Him in our lives. Now I need to move on quickly. Let me ask you to notice another thing in verse 14 concerning this matter of repentance or turning. It's grounded in God's character of mercy. It's as well... uh, it's 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 found in, in uh, grounded in his care is uh, him, him being master, but it's also as well. It flows out of. It grows from the fact that he is the one who's the author of repentance. It's 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 grounded in his. Co- 
covenant kindness to us. Notice what God says in the words of verse 14, the last part. And I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion. God says, I'm going to take you and do this. And that points out the fact that repentance doesn't come naturally to us. It's the gift of God. God produces repentance. And I want you to see that because I believe there's a lot of, lot of misunderstanding about that. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31 where we have God speaking of His new covenant mercy to Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 31, <clears throat> as God speaks there in that passage, in verses 31 through 34, we have the great revelation of the new covenant that God is going to make with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and that's been ratified through the death of our Lord at the cross, and one day Israel will enjoy that mercy. But as God is speaking about this, notice what is said in verse 18 of Jeremiah 31. Again, Jeremiah 31 verse 18. Listen to the words of Ephraim here. God writes, God speaks, I have surely heard Ephraim. That's the northern kingdom. That's the ones to whom Jeremiah is told to direct that word in chapter 3. Ephraim, Israel, the northern tribes. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me and I was chastised. And as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Now notice verse 19. Surely after that I was turned, what? I repented. And after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. What's Ephraim saying here? Well, this is Ephraim's testimony, if you will. It's testifying time. That great, great day when God saves him, what's Ephraim saying? Saying, Lord, you turn me, and what? I'll be turned. And then he says, what? Surely after that I was turned, the Lord did the work, what happened? I repented. And after that I was instructed, after God did the hard work inside of bringing the gospel home in power, after that happened, I smote upon my thigh. How could I do that? How could I be so stupid? Or if you want to, the publican in Luke 18 who does what? Strikes his chest as though to say, I know where the problem is. I've got heart trouble. Not physical heart trouble. Spiritual heart trouble. How could I be so stupid? How could I rebel against this great, this loving God? God turns us and we're turned. I want to show you that from the New Testament as well in Acts chapter 11 verse 18. If you would notice please what after Peter has gone to Cornelius' household and preached the gospel in Acts 10, some of the Jewish believers call him on the carpet. You've gone to eat with Gentiles. You shouldn't have done that. And as Peter tells them what happened and how God orchestrated it all, he, he basically says, how could I withstand God in verse 17? And in verse 18, we read the response of the believers, the Jewish believers. Acts eleven eighteen. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. What had He done for some among the Jews? He'd given them repentance. But aren't you glad He didn't just do that for Israel? Aren't you glad He gives some Gentiles? Oh, see, I'm, I'm like that Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. 
I'm one of those Gentile dogs. You remember what Jesus said? Not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs, but I like her answer because it's mine too. That's right, Lord, but I'm your puppy. <laughs> yeah. Truth, Lord, she said. She didn't say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. He called me a dog. No, she said, Truth, Lord. Show not, Lord, if we say it in the sound. Truth, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Lord, I'm your puppy. Uh, you my master. And I'm not asking you to take the children's bread from their plate. A crumb will do me. I tell you today, that's the goodness of God to sinners. He's given repentance, not only to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. And that's what He does when He says, I will take you one of a city, two two of a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. I'm going to bring you there because, brothers and sisters, ultimately, our sin is great enough that if God doesn't do the work in us, it will not be done. I cannot... I like the way Brother Toplady called it in that great hymn, Rock of Ages, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer know these for sin could not atone? Thou must save, and thou alone. In my hand no price I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. File I to the fountain fly, Wash me, Savior, or I die. I've got a problem so great that I can't handle it. I've wrestled this giant of sin, and I know every time I do, he pins me. Three count. But thank God, God is able to do for sinners what we cannot do for ourselves. And that's what he promises here. I will take you. I'll bring you to Zion. Let me tell you, I'm enjoying the journey. It's good to be marching as a pilgrim design. Glad to have some fellow travelers today too. Amen. But we're going to Zion. Brothers and sisters, we go back to Jeremiah 3 and I need to be quick. Time's passing. It flies too quickly in this place it seems. Praise God for that though. I want you to look with me at another thing. What are the elements that mark repentance or turning according to these words in Jeremiah 3, 12-14? Look with me at those elements in verse 13. It speaks clearly of it again. As we think about what turning, returning involves, verse 13, God says, Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against thy, the Lord thy God, and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Notice the things God says outline what repentance is here. It starts with acknowledging thine iniquity. Now, the word iniquity in Hebrew, avon, it has the idea of being twisted. Twisted. Did you know that our word wrong, W-R-O-N-G, comes from the word to ring, W-R-I-N-G. Happens to me all the time, you know, I'm driving a screw and with this mammoth strength I've got. <laughs> Sister Rhonda, I, I hate you laugh so quickly on that one. <laughs> I do have a cousin who was a wrestler, Sweet Stan Lane of the Midnight Express, lives over in Greensboro now. My Aunt Jean, his mother, is 99 and a half. She's making sure you get that half too now. Because, you know, when you're young, you're four, you count those halves. When you get up that old, you start counting those halves again. <laughs> She's actually three months from 100, God willing. But uh, sometimes, you know, you're driving a screw, and if you go too far, you might ring that head off. 
We wring out clothes sometimes. I, sometimes I'll have some washcloths at the house. They're not good washcloths. I like to wring my washcloth out, try to dry myself with it. Sometimes it'll get holy on me. Not H-O-L-L-L-L-Y either. Not holy, holy, like we sang, you know. Ring it. Well, our word wrong comes from ring because something that's wrong is twisted. Twisted from God's design. Twisted from God's purpose. It's wrong. And this word iniquity, I won't in Hebrew, has that idea of what has been wrong. What has become twisted. We talk about sin sometimes as perversion. That's twisting. That's where it's turned completely to the point that it's no longer useful or serviceable. That's what's happened to us. God says, turning rightly involves acknowledging my sin, my iniquity. A lot of people won't come to you with that. They won't go there with you. Some of y'all remember a... Fonzie, happy days. There was this episode in that sitcom where the Fonz had told Cunningham to join the army, I believe it was, and he was going to do it because Fonz told him to. And it wasn't the right thing. Potsy went to him and said, Fonz, he's not going to, he's doing it because you told him the only way you can tell him not to do it is to tell him you were wrong. That was a big pill for Fonz, you know. So Fonz goes into the bathroom at Al's diner. Nobody else in there. He looks in the mirror. He says, Cunningham, I was wrong. Cunningham, I was wrong. Cunningham, I was wrong. And he gets it out. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to come to God rightly, we're going to have to say it. We're going to have to say, I was wrong. Knowledge and iniquity, but not only that, it involves recognizing that we scattered our way. Excuse me, that we've transgressed against the Lord. The idea of the word transgress is we've gone beyond the boundaries. We've rebelled. God said, "Do not trespass. Don't go here." And we said, "I don't care." Like the man who's posted property and put the fence up. And I've got my gun and I put it on the other side of the fence and I start sticking my body through it. That's what I've done. God has put some thou shalt nots up and I've said I'm going to do it anyway. And we have to acknowledge we've transgressed. We've trespassed against the Lord's boundaries. That's what turning involves. Realizing that I've gone the wrong way that way against Him. But not only that, it means I've scattered my ways to the strangers on every green tree. In other words, everything that should have been His, I've taken and I've just destroyed. I've scattered it. The story is told about D.L. Moody one time. He came back from preaching and his wife asked him, did you have any response to that? He said, oh, we had two and a half. She said, oh, two, 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 two adults and a child. He said, no. She, he said, no, two children and an adult. The way I figured that adults already lived half his life. <laughs> you know, that's the reality of sin, isn't it? Wasted years, the hymn writer wrote, didn't he? Wasted years, wasted years. Oh, how foolish. Why? Because sin makes us scatter our ways to the strangers who don't deserve that under every green tree instead of giving it to the one to whom it rightly belongs. God says, you've done that. And then He adds, you've not obeyed My voice. Now these are some of the elements of repentance. But there's one more we need to add. 
Because I believe you could do all of these things and not do the final thing that involves real repentance. And what is that? Turn. Years ago I heard a joke. I thought I was smart and had the answer. Five cats sitting on the fence. One of them decides to jump off. How many were left? My answer was none because the rest were copycats. But that wasn't the answer. I thought that was a pretty good answer, by the way. You know what the answer was? How many were left? Five. Because the first one only decided to jump off. It didn't do it. What do we say? The road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. You see, you can do these things and if you don't turn, you still haven't repented. Turning is part of it. Turning is the greatest part of it. That's why the hymn writer, I think, wrote, I've wasted many precious years. Lord, I'm what? Coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. And the good news is there are arms of love waiting to welcome everyone who turns, who comes home. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we think about. What happens when we turn? Well, God's already made it clear in verse 12. His anger is turned away. He will not allow His anger to fall on us. How can He do that though? If He's angry with with sin, and we're sinners, and He says when we turn He won't let His anger fall on us, how can He do that? Well, there's an answer in the Bible throughout the Word of God it's pointed to, but it's seen especially in the Gospels. His anger doesn't fall on us because it fell on His Son. The cross tells us the answer to how God's anger cannot fall on me. You see, as I live in this world, by my sin, I've got a great big bullseye on my back. That bullseye is a target for the wrath of God. I deserve it. It ought to fall on me full force. I tell you about my sin. David Morris should have sucked down to hell forever and licked up the fires of the lake of fire and the wrath of God forever. But today, I can tell you there's no condemnation. Why? Because God's Son at the cross stood in my place. And that is assurance every sinner who trusts Christ can have. To know that God's anger is turned from us. It won't fall on us because it fell on Him who cried, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And because of that, I can know that He is the propitiation. That is, He is that sacrifice that turns away wrath by taking it on Himself. Now somebody said, but Brother David, you said forever. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. He didn't suffer forever because He's an eternal sufferer. In other words, the one who suffered there was eternal God, not just man. And so He could drink damnation dry in those hours on the cross. See, to pay for sin requires either the finite, limited people like you and me suffer forever. Or the infinite suffer forever finitely and guess what that's what happened at the cross God became man what's the name of that baby born to that virgin Mary Emmanuel God with us what did he do drank damnation dry at the cross for everyone who trusts him God says I'll not let my anger fall one final thing that this does is not only is God's anger turned away we enjoy his forgiveness but also 
He's taken us to Zion. That last part of verse 14. He says, I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I'll bring you to Zion. I like that hymn of Brother Watts. We're marching to Zion. Brother Hudson, I think, wrote the chorus. We're marching to Zion. I may be wrong on that, but there's a chorus added. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. Beautiful city of God. Come we that love the Lord and let our songs abound. We're headed somewhere. But what is the road to Zion? It's the way of repentance. There's no other road but the way of repentance and faith. If I'm not marching that road, I'm not marching the right road. I will not go to Zion. Because the road to Zion is the road of repentance. Back in the last century, which hadn't been that long ago, in Russia, there was a there was a movie that was produced called Repentance. Can't tell you the Russian word, but in English, it'd be Repentance. It was about the Stalin years in Russia, which were Stalin was a cruel murderer. Millions and millions of people died under that dictator in Russia. And in that movie, it ends this way: an old woman is walking down the street, and she knocks on a door, and a young lady answers, and she asks the old woman, "Where is the church?" And the young lady looks back at her and says, "There is no church." And the old woman asks, "What good is a road if it doesn't lead to a church?" I like that. And I ask you, what good is the road you're on if it doesn't lead to Zion today? What good's the road you're walking if it doesn't lead to Zion? Oh, today, if you're not walking the road to Zion, let me tell you, get on get on that road. It's the road of repentance. Repentance Boulevard. That's the road that leads to Zion. May God grant us today to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling sinners home. And may we be those who walk that way of repentance. Turning. Not the back, but the face to Him. And saying, I want to serve You, Lord. I want to walk in Your way. I want to be forgiven. I want to know the power of the blood to cleanse. I want to know what it is to have Your mercy and not Your anger. And all of that comes to all who repent. May God grant us then to hear the voice of our Good Shepherd in His blessed Word. Let's pray. Father, we ask You now to bless Your Word and to honor the Lord Jesus, Your Son. Thank You, Father. Thank You so much for His willingness to take our sin debt and hell penalty at the cross, to pay what we could not pay forever in the lake of fire. Father, thank You for Your Word. Bless it now to each heart here, each soul. Father, help us to do business with You, holy business with our King. Father, we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus and for His glory. Amen. Sing one song, I mean one verse, of 255. I appreciate the word we heard this morning. 255. Uh, Stand as we sing. First verse of 255, Sands of Time.
appreciate the word again for repentance. And that is for all people, not just the Jews or according to the Old Testament, it's for all people. Appreciate the word. And if you can, come back tonight at 5 o'clock, Brother David, be back with us again. You're at liberty. Good to see you. You're shaking up something.